For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's podcast is sponsored by FastBitcoins.com. FastBitcoins provides a simple way for people to buy Bitcoin directly from their bank account or with cash in physical stores. Their services are rapidly growing in availability across the UK, Estonia, as well as Canada, and they're launching in Australia soon too. FastBitcoins is committed to providing high-quality Bitcoin-only services. They want to make sure that the growing number of people interested in buying and benefiting from the possibilities of Bitcoin can do so easily, securely, and with as few distractions as possible. Learn more about Fast Bitcoin's range of services at fastbitcoins.com, including how you can earn Bitcoin for free through their referral scheme. That is fastbitcoins.com. Fastbitcoins.com. Go check them out. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on a super interesting guy. He has been a teacher in China for many years. He's got a big YouTube channel with over half a million subscribers where he makes videos in English and in also very impressive Chinese language as well. <laughs> and this is Mike Goffman, aka Teacher Mike. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Super That's excited. Awesome. awesome Big man. fan. I'm, I'm excited to have you here. So I, I yeah. appreciate that, bro. Thank you. Um, I'll try my so, best not to fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've just uh, done a really brief intro there. So tell people a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Uh, yeah. So I've, I've taught and lived in China for 10 years now. And I started as an English teacher, you know, way back when in, in 2007 was the first time I taught over there. And I guess this, the, the requirement for teaching was relatively low. They just kind of wanted native speakers. And I didn't really know much about teaching, to be honest. It was just kind of a, a cool thing to try, kind of a changing career in my life and getting back to traveling. So I did it. I loved it. And then uh, later on, I found out, you know, I actually really like teaching. I want to go back to school and get my teaching certificate and, and be a legit teacher. So mm. I did that. Um, I actually did that in design technology, which is my college background. So I guess I'm kind of a creative designer at, at, uh, at heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then and just over the years in China, teaching English and, and also teaching design technology, I get a lot of the same English questions over and 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 over. And I see a lot of the same pronunciation mistakes, grammar mistakes. So I just thought like, I should just start making some videos so that I don't have to like keep explaining this over and over again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just refer them to the videos. And sure. that was about five years ago. So. Awesome. 
So tell me a little bit more about what led you to going to China. I mean, have you always been interested in going to China? Were you already speaking the language in any way? I have seen some of your YouTube videos and I am certainly no um, expert on the, I am certainly no, it's Mandarin, right? Correct. Yes. I'm certainly no expert on the, on the Mandarin language, but um, I've seen you've got long videos on YouTube that are 100% in Mandarin. It yeah. sounds, it sounds uh, very impressive to me. <laughs> right? yeah. just, just that in itself is impressive. I'm obviously not a Chinese native who can be there and be like, oh, he pronounced that one word wrong or whatever. Right? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. You know, it's just very free flowing, totally fluent. So were you already speaking the language before you went over there? What's the, what's the story behind all that? I, I did not know a single word, nor did I have any interest in China whatsoever. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I was, uh, I guess you would say, a, a crossroads in life, maybe spiritually and uh, personally and career-wise. And I, I had a friend over there teaching, a college friend who was teaching English, and he just mm-hmm. loved it. And uh, yeah, an opportunity presented itself to, to go on like a two-week mission trip to do English camps. Okay. And uh, they're, they're quite common over there in the summer. People go over there and, and uh, all these kids sign up and they attend all these English classes throughout the day. It's kind of intensive English classes. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's awesome. I want to do that. And then the opportunity came up like, well, they, they said, you want to stay and teach for a year? You can teach there. You know, the, as long as you have a college degree that's kind of, and you're a native speaker, that's kind of the basic requirement. I don't know. You know, that's kind of a, that's kind of a big jump. I just kind of, yeah. if you go over there, check it out. <laughs> and then kind of, kind of the last, I was the last at the program at the schools that were hiring. I was like the last one to, to get signed on. And I kind of made a, a last minute decision kind of to stop what I was doing in the U S and, and went over. And it was, it was back in 2007. I had, you know, the time of my life, I was making maybe 600 bucks a month. That was a salary. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never been so poor, but never been so happy. <laughs> it was, it was amazing. People were yeah. so friendly. And where did you yeah. go to? That was in Northeastern China, okay. uh, a city called Qinhuangdao, which is straight east. If you, if you're in Beijing and you head east until you hit the ocean, you mm-hmm. that's where you are. And so it was okay. right next to the beach, which was cool too. That's awesome, man. So, yeah. so, I mean, what was it like when you first got there? You said you, you really enjoyed it. What was it? Was it your first time in the country as well? Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. It was just so raw and it was just so different. You know, I, I was expecting a much different type of uh, architecture and okay. I didn't know what the people would be like. I was obviously had preconceived notions about what the food was like, which mm-hmm. were just, you know, okay. the food is just unbelievable. The real stuff. Yeah. And, okay, so uh, so tell me about what you thought it was going to be like versus what it actually turned out to be like. I, I don't know. I, I guess I just thought, you know, you see these old kung fu movies, you kind of see those old buildings. I thought there was going to be like a bunch of those things. Mm-hmm. And like, I just had no idea how, you know, modern and, and how much construction was going on and how quickly it was changing and how hospitable and friendly like the people would be. And just like, they just, everybody wants to, you're, you're the guest there, you know, mm-hmm. you're, Mm. I've said this to people, you know, I've been, I've been in China for 10 years, but I'll, I'll never be Chinese. Sure. I'm always going to be like a guest in their country, which is fine. And, uh, but with that comes a lot of guest treatment and it's, it's just, uh, you know, people are very, I don't want to say naive, but very innocent. And they just, mm-hmm. you know, they just want to know you. Yeah. And uh, Curious. I was just overwhelmed by the friendship, you know, it was great. I loved it. That's cool, man. And yeah. what was it like, um, initially in terms of the language, was there a big language barrier? Or what is the level of, what's the sort of level of English like out there? How were you able to get by? Yeah, it it varies quite a bit. Mm. Naturally, you know, we're teaching English. I was teaching students who are learning English, have learned English. 
So most of the people I knew could, could speak English. And I decided pretty early, I didn't have no idea how long I was going to stay, but I decided pretty early, I'm going to, I'm going to start learning Mandarin. Mm. Like, you know, if, if I'm going to actually live here, I like, at least should make an effort. Sure. Um, so there's always a language barrier, but again, it wasn't a huge issue because you always had, you know, a dozen people around you like, Oh, can I help you? Can I help you with this? Can I help you with that? Mm-hmm. They just, they just really want to help you. Um, and just, just be able to contribute something, you know, that's, yeah, that's great. What was it that surprised you most? What were you most uh, shocked by? <sighs> I mean, the food right away, it was just like, <sighs> your eyes are like, oh, yeah. man, I've, I've been missing out my whole life. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> Tell dump- me more about that. Like these dumplings. Oh man. Have you had the Chinese dumplings, the real stuff? Uh, oh, which ones? Which well, you got, you got fried dumplings, which are like pot stickers. You got soup dumplings, which are kind of boiled. There's like pork and veggies. Okay. Um, you got, uh, the shalong bao, which are steamed dumplings. I, um, I know and, those ones. I'm very familiar with those. Yeah. Yeah. Those like the, the jiaozi, the, I think they call them like gyoza in English. Oh, yes, I guess. Yeah, I know those. Yeah. yeah. But just think of that, but like 10 times better and fresh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That just blew me away. So okay. it was great. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So tell me more about, um, tell me more about learning Mandarin. I mean, how did you go about doing it? How did you go from not speaking a word to being fluent and especially especially mandarin because we're not talking about french or spanish or italian or a language which has a lot of overlap and similarities with Mm. your your native language and uses the same alphabet as well which is which is a big one i mean chinese if i look at chinese writing if i see the characters whatever i mean it it's just it looks like some it could be written by aliens you know i know i know i, I know it's chinese but like i can't i can't understand one thing right if i see a word in to be fair you know i i can speak a decent level of french and spanish but if i see sure. even polish i can at least somewhat pronounce the word because i know how to say the sure. letters if i see italian i don't understand italian but i can still read it if i see chinese or japanese or arabic and whole different alphabet it's just you know yeah. it's kind of mind blowing and then of course mandarin is Mandarin a tonal language? Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's very tonal. Mandarin well. has four tones plus a neutral tone. And I okay. believe I don't I don't know much Cantonese. Cantonese I believe has seven tones. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So the whole language structure is totally foreign in every sense of the term. So with all that in mind, yeah, how did you how did you start? So a couple of people there had been there for a couple of years, and so they they spoke decent Mandarin already, and they gave me their old books. Mm-hmm. So I had those to start learning characters where you kind of you practice going one stroke at a time and you end up, you know, writing the same character, like, you know, 50 times over. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and believe it or not, when you look at the Chinese characters, it does look like a lot of just lines everywhere, but there's, there's some rhyme or reason to it. Okay. There's different parts that represent different, different things. Like they call it radicals so on the left side. You might see a common uh, part of the character in many different characters, which has something to do with water, for example. Okay. Um, so, or a liquid or something like that. So you can, Kind of narrow it down that way. Does, um, each, does each character correspond to a letter like it does in English, or is it a whole a syllable? System? I would say a syllable. syllable. Okay. Mm-hmm. And each syllable could have four different tones, mm-hmm. and each character could have, you know, two, three, four, up to 10 different meanings, depending on the context <laughs> or what other characters <laughs> it's with. I know, dude, it's, yeah. it's wild. I'm already like, okay. Yeah. I can see your head just yeah, exploding. Yeah. But I also got, I bought these flashcards where you had, has like 500 of the most common Chinese characters. And I would go through those, you know, I'd try to go through as many of those as I could every day. 
And so I got up to just like a very, very basic level where I could have very simple conversations probably in about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people were impressed with that, although there was other people I knew who had gotten much more advanced <laughs> than I did yeah. during that same time. Yeah. Uh, but they just are very gifted in languages. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Everybody says that, oh, you're gifted in languages. I don't know. I think I just practiced a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think people say that as an excuse. Talent exists in everything, and there are always going to be some people who are more talented than other, in other things. Mm-hmm. But I look at it this way. Every person, like every child can learn their native language. Yeah. Right? No matter what exactly. country they're born in, every child can learn their native language, and every child can also learn multiple languages. And yeah. we know that adults are significantly more intelligent and significantly more advanced than children are. So <laughs> this idea that it's, you know, impossible to learn a language or some people are just, you know, it's like when it's you work, out. yeah, when you work really hard at something, it looks like talent, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? You know, <laughs> once, once you get really, really good at something, people are like, oh, you're just talented at that. And it's like, yeah. you know, I've been going to... I've been going to the gym for 16 or 17 years and I now get people who are like, man, I wish I had your genetics. And I'm like, if you saw me when I first started training, you you wouldn't have been like, man, this guy's got crazy genetics. You know what I mean? (laughs) You'd be like, oh, this is just like a chubby teenager. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, I think like, you know, I, I, with someone with my level, I I see other people that are even better than me, like other non-Chinese people. I'm just Mm. like, man, I get jealous of them. And I don't know, maybe you, you probably feel that way about, about lifting too. It's like, oh man, okay, maybe I should step it up a little bit more. You know, so you always have some, somebody of course. Ahead, ahead of you that you want of you course, try yeah, to aspire yeah. to too as well. Mm. So when you started learning, did you go straight to the characters or did you focus more on speaking and understanding first? I just went straight to the characers and I also had a, someone donated me one of those uh, Pimslers. Oh, Pimsler Pimsler CDs. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I had, I had those lessons, which are, I, I do like about a half an hour a day and mm-hmm. that'll, that would, that lasted me a couple of months and that helps you just get the pronunciation because you're just listening and repeating yeah, mimicking. Yeah. And so I had some pronunciation, I had some characters and then again, you know, I was working at a college, right? So a lot of these, these college kids didn't have particularly a lot to do. Um, so we would hang out a lot and they would teach me stuff all the time. Mm. You know, I teach them some English, more me teaching English than them teaching Chinese because obviously their English is far superior to my Chinese at the time. Yeah. But yeah, it was just always people around who could ask questions and stuff That's cool. like that. So did, yeah. did you do any formal lessons at all? Um, the college I was at, they had a program for foreign students to come and learn Chinese. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was teaching, so I couldn't attend it full time. But I went and asked the teachers, like, do you mind if I just like sit down on, on classes when I'm not teaching English? And they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, like our students are terrible. Like we want some people to actually come in and participate. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people just go there to kind of, you know, they're 19 and just out of high school and away from home and mm-hmm. kind of go screw up, screw off. But, um, uh, I, you know, I would go in there and I'd be like, yeah, I want to learn some stuff. And the teachers are great. So yeah. thankfully they're let me that, sit in for nothing, you know? That's cool, man. Yeah. So the, the college you were at, this was mainly, was stuff mainly in Chinese language. It was a Chinese college or was it? Correct. More into, yeah. Okay. There were, there were programs for learning um, English, to be an English educator, uh, programs for uh, business English. So a lot of the students I had were uh, going to be either English teachers, mm-hmm. um, do some kind of foreign trade where they're learning English. Mm-hmm. I actually had a, a whole group of uh, stewardesses, I guess you call them, um, 
which you know they're flying international airlines, so they have to learn English. Mm. Uh, they were they were the they were the worst. <laughs> they, oh really? They I just did not best. care. They just did not care about English I, I, one bit. I, I, I thought they'd be the best. <laughs> they're too busy. They're too busy fixing their makeup. Uh, uh, I, I was thinking. I was like, that's that's a good position to be the alpha male, like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, but no no teachers wanted to take to teach them. We were trying to you know I'll give you this class if I can. That's know. so funny. Oh man, that's yeah. so funny. That's awesome. So tell me more about your, your progression in, in the language. Um, cause I, I am curious as to how you was, was it just day after day? Just when, when did you realize like, Oh, actually I'm fluent. I mean, when, when did you say that you reached fluency? When I say sure. fluency, I don't mean perfection. I mean the profit, pro, the proper term, right. Being able yeah. to have a flowing, a flowing conversation without translating stuff in your head and making like mm-hmm. gigantic errors and stuff like that. How long did it take you to reach that level? Um, I would say, so I, I, I went back to the U S in 2009. Um, I, and of course the economy was terrible. I couldn't get a job. Mm. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to go back to China. You know, <laughs> oh, okay. I went back to uh, China in 2010, started teaching again. And at that point I was like, okay, I'm, I'm probably going to be here a little while. Mm. I'm going to hire a tutor. And so I hired a tutor to meet a couple times a week. And my goal was to get to HSK five. So HSK is uh, the, the standardized Mandarin test for non-native speakers. So there's mm-hmm. six levels, one, two, three, four, five, six. And I thought, okay, if I get to level five and the levels are like kind of exponentially hard, okay. it's not just okay. kind of a gradual thing. Um, so there's, there's a vast difference between level three and four. Mm. Um, and so I, I studied with her for about two years and I think probably in like, 2013, 2014, I took the test, mm. passed it the first time. Nice. And uh, I, I said, if I, if I pass that level, I'm just, I'm not, my formal study is going to be finished. Everything else yeah. I do is just going to be with my friends, practicing just daily conversation. But yeah, I mean, really at the end of the day, you have to force yourself to be, to mm. take either study or to just be in a, a Chinese speaking environment, which yeah. is not terribly difficult to do when you're in China. Yeah. In China. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So, and were you, were you in the same city at that time? Yeah, I've been in Shanghai since 2000, late 2010. So I've been there almost over nine years, almost okay. 10 years. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, firstly, yeah. I want to say uh, congratulations. Like I am impressed by anyone who, I'm, I'm impressed, impressed by anyone who does anything difficult that requires perseverance. <laughs> but Thanks, um, yeah, but I, lo- I love languages specifically. Um, I have gone through the process of teaching myself French and Spanish at various points, although they, mm-hmm. they're both, they're both kind of rusty cause I haven't used them that recently, but I got to, a, I got to a good level at both of them where I was having pretty free flowing conversations with, with, you know, French and Spanish people, et cetera. But, um, yeah, I mean, Chinese specifically that, cause that's one of the, that's one of the scary languages, right? There are certain scary languages, you know, you've got like, yeah. you know, Ch- Chinese, intimidating, yeah, Chinese, Japanese, Russian, Polish, right? There are certain ones where it's just like, oh gosh, like I don't even. <laughs> I yeah, don't I read an article that. that's it kind of listed out the number of hours it would take a speaker, you know, someone new to a language to become conversational in a language, and mm. I think I think Spanish was lower kind of like in that four to 500 hour range with French and Italian. And then English was kind of six, 700 or, and then like Chinese and Japanese are like 12 to 1300. Yeah. Because yeah. You, you can't even read a, a simple newspaper Mm-mm. without first learning at least 3000 characters. Right. Yeah. How many characters and, are, are, so are char- I'm, I'm getting my head around characters. So are, are characters yeah. like words mm-hmm. almost? Yep. Okay. So exactly each, words. Oh, okay. So each, okay. So each character is literally like, 
another word in the vocabulary, essentially. So I'll give you a few examples. So, uh, ni hao mm-hmm. is literally ni, which means you, mm-hmm. and hao means good. Mm-hmm. So it's hello in Chinese, mm-hmm. you good. Yeah. Uh, and they're actually, they're, you know, a lot of the, the word construction is, is very practical. Um, I'll give you an example of that, like uh, computer mm-hmm. is dian nao. Dian means electricity. Mm. Now means brain, so it's like an electric brain, <laughs> or uh, it's, like, it's uh, like German in that regard. A little bit, or like yeah. washing machine. Xiji xi, xi means to wash. Yi uh-huh. means clothing, uh-huh. and ji ji means machine. Wash clothing machine. <laughs> so it. it's once you start to figure that out, like you can yeah. you can accumulate a lot of the nouns much mm. much faster um, once you got like the basics. Uh, yeah. That, so, that's a little bit like German, right? like they yeah. just sort of take take the two words that make sense together and then slam them together. Yeah. And you've yeah. kind of got and you've just got the word. So rather than having like a um, dentist and pediatrician and all these different types of doctor, you just know the word for doctor and then you know the word for mm-hmm. teeth and you slam them together. You know the word yeah. for child, you know the word for doctor, you slam them together. Um, whereas in English, it's like you've got all these different very specific words yeah for all these different things. latin roots and all yeah, those things yeah yeah like dentist is just tooth doctor yeah yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very simple so yeah that, that's that's really interesting man yeah. so i'm curious to to learn more about um the i guess the the cultural aspects and the people and everything like that so language of course is part of that that is that is super interesting but what what were some of the big differences you found um I guess first initially, and then now, in term now that you've been there for um, a decade, what are some of the sort of big cultural differences, or just things that really struck you about how different China or Chinese people are compared to the USA or perhaps the West in general? I guess I'll, you know, for the sake of this conversation, I'll, I'll speak in generalizations, even though yeah. I don't like to do that. You kind of have to. I, I know. I know. Yeah, I know. We all understand. Look, there's, yeah. there's over a billion people there. Yeah. You can't really just say Americans are like this. Chinese yeah, yeah. people are like this. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're generally very, very um, hardworking, very friendly, um, very curious. You know, a lot, a lot of times, I guess the biggest shock when you when you go there, if you ever go there. Have you been to China? No, not yet. Okay. So if you go there outside of Beijing and Shanghai, you'll, you'll certainly get stared at a lot. Sure. And that does no matter what your skin color, as long mm. as it's, if it's not Asian, you're going to get stared at. Mm. Uh, that was kind of something you kind of got used to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's nothing malicious about it. I, I didn't find. Yeah. Uh, it was just out of curiosity, you know, mm. what's this person doing here? I've never seen a, a, a non-Chinese person walk down my street before or something. Sure. Um, so that's a bit surprising. Um, yeah. I, I think I was... They're very humble, very humble people, mm. right? Um, usually very simple, like they, they want to, you know, have a place to live and they, they want harmony in their family. They want their family to be close. Their family ties are extremely close, mm. right? Oftentimes people will live with their parents until they go off and get married, often in their mid to late 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's this sort of the unwritten hope or expectation that when the parents are old, that the, the children will move back in and take care of them. Yeah. kind of a repayment again i'm, I'm generalizing a little mm-hmm, bit but mm-hmm. a repayment for their their sacrifice and parents will i mean they'll just they'll sacrifice everything they have for their kids yeah um so i mean a lot of that stuff is very uh i mean it's just very endearing and it's very mm-hmm. they're very sincere about it i mean those those are a lot of the good things there's 
there's other things that are a little more shocking, like the, the pollution, obviously it strikes you straight away. You're just like, okay. wow. You don't, you don't see the blue skies very much anymore. Really? Wow. Okay. <laughs> it, it's like, it's like going outside and it's like, Oh, it's a full moon tonight. It's like, Oh, I don't <laughs> see this every day. And yeah. You see the blue sky. It's like, Oh wow. Wow. Blue sky today. That's what's, great. The, what's the population of Shanghai? So it's its own city province. Yeah. Uh, it's about 26 million wow. in the, the province. And the downtown area is probably half of that. Okay. Uh, the urban yeah. area, I guess. So it's like a, it's like a whole country, essentially, population-wise. Yeah. yeah, it's like the size of Australia, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's more, more people than Australia, isn't it? Probably. So. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's big. It's, <laughs> it's, it's about, it's, Can- it's, it's almost Canada. <laughs> yeah. But you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly crowded, but I, I guess my, in my mind, I was expecting it, expecting it to just be elbow to elbow everywhere you go, everything you do. And it's, it's not like it's, I've certainly felt more crowded in like, uh, like Japan sometimes, or like there's, there's other places that are, are more crowded. It certainly gets crowded at, at peak times in Shanghai, sure, but sure. it's not uh, completely overwhelming. Yeah. And what's, um, what's the living situation like? How do most people live? Do people tend to mainly live in, in apartments? Is it high-rise buildings? Is it, is it flats? Is it houses? Is it suburbs? Yeah. What, how do most, I mean, a city of 26 million people, where do you, where do you put everybody? Yeah, so I, I would say probably turn of the century, uh, the 20th century, there was a lot of these just two, three-level kind of low-rise brick buildings. And those were slowly replaced kind of with the, the communist era ones, which were, were six six stories. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of all look the same. There's just block after block of these six-story buildings. Um, I'm sure if you've been to Germany, you've probably seen stuff that kind of mm-hmm. looks like that. Sure. Um, and those are slowly being replaced now with, with high-rises, which are actually really, really nice. And so we, we live in a high-rise at the moment. Well, I'm in the USA right now. If we get back to China, <laughs> if and when, yeah. we'll, we'll return to our, our high-rise apartment. Um, and China is, they're just building that stuff like nonstop. It's just, mm. it's, it's insane. Everywhere you go, you see the, the big cranes out in the distance um, and they're just, they're just building those things as fast as they can. And uh, a lot of times, like my wife's Chinese. Mm. And uh, so her parents, they're in one of those, those six-story buildings. Right? I think it's actually seven stories. There's some rule where if it's as long as the building's under seven stories, you don't need to put an elevator in it. Okay. So, <laughs> so that's why the, the kind of buildings are kind of that yeah, that, yeah. that that tall. Um, they're in the process of being relocated to a high rise, which is currently being built. You know, while they're waiting for this, they're, they're getting paid by the government, and um, they had a few options. They could have relocated out to an existing one outside the city, but they want to stay in the city to be close to family mm. and stuff. So, um, yeah, you're going to see a lot of high rises and. The high rises now, they definitely take a lot more um, design and they're, I don't know how you say, I don't want to say user friendly, but they're just, they're more, they're more, a lot more design incorporated into it. Whereas before it was very practical and you just kind of walk into some of these older apartments, which still exist yeah. and you can rent them. Some of them are, have been renovated and they, they kind of have that cute look to them and mm-hmm. people like them. Uh, but you'd walk in and be like, who designed this floor plan? It makes, <laughs> makes no sense. Why is the the main bathroom in between the living room and the bedroom or like, I don't know, just weird stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So that's funny, man. So I'm actually curious. Uh, Tell me about, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to get super personal, but I'm curious about the story of how, how you, how you met your wife and what that, Uh what that was like. Cause that is a real, um, sort of coming together of cultures, especially cause you know, of course you've got her, but then you got like, you know, family and parents and everything like that. So what was, what was that like? Yeah, so um, Shanghai being the very international city, it is has a, a lot of clubs and sports clubs, including ice hockey club. I grew up playing ice hockey in okay. Minnesota. 
And uh, so when I went to Shanghai, I saw they had an ice hockey club. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I could play ice hockey in China. Mm. And I brought my stuff with, and uh, it was it was a great experience. But there was one hockey rink, and it was way outside the city, like an hour. Mm-hmm. And we'd all get in the bus, and we'd go out there and play hockey and come back like once a week. And the league was, was, was pretty well organized. And basically, the my wife, she was getting her uh, master's degree at the university right across the street from the rink. Mm-hmm. And uh, she knew one of my friends who was also in the league, and he was like, "Well, we need a we need like a scorekeeper, and we need somebody. We'll pay you, you know, a little bit, and you can help negotiate with the rink because mm-hmm. obviously your English is good and your Chinese is good." And so they hired her. Uh, so I, I met her through that. <laughs> she was okay. the, the ice hockey scorekeeper girl, okay. I guess you could say. Okay. <laughs> that was her part time job while she was going through grad school. Awesome. And yeah. um, what what was it like? Uh, I mean, where, where you, uh, do her parents live in the city or what was the, what was the meet the parents situation? Like, was yeah. there any, were there any weird, funny stories or, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Plenty of> those. <laughs> um, so sh- her parents live probably about three hours West of Shanghai, yeah. not in Shanghai. And to be quite honest, every single person in her family that I know of, except her cousin, who's also, you know, got a college education and went to work in Beijing. Mm-hmm. Everybody out to aunts, great aunts, second cousin, third cousin, they all live in this one city. So obviously their, their family's very close. Yeah. Um, and so I was reluctant to, to date someone from China, just, you know, like thinking about the future, what are we going to do? You know, like which country we were going to live? Is it mm-hmm. going to cause too much tension with the parents? Um, but we started dating and she was reluctant to tell her parents that I was the boyfriend at first. It mm-hmm. was kind of, I was referred to as the friend. Yes. And um, I think we started dating in January. And then the next month was Chinese New Year. Mm-hmm. And so we were kind of deciding, like, should I go back with you to visit and meet your family or whatever? And I'm like, oh, that's pretty early. And she's like, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Because in China, the tradition is if you bring someone home for Chinese New Year, that's the person you're going to marry. Oh, so wow. Okay. It's, it's kind of a big deal. It's, okay, it's kind of like getting engaged almost bringing oh, them home to meet the family. Okay. And you know, you, you'd host a dinner or you'd pay for one of the dinners for the family and mm-hmm. like announce like, okay, we're dating. So we waited till the following year to, to formally do that. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I met, I met her parents before that. They were, they were skeptical at first. I think sure. they, they, they hear a lot about the divorce rate in the U S which mm-hmm. is high to be fair. It's a reasonable concern. Mm-hmm. Um, but as they got to know me, I think they were a little, they were a little more, they were okay with it. Yeah. And I, th- I think I was a little bit lucky in the sense because I've, I've, I've heard a lot of non-Chinese people getting married to Chinese people who had just, mm. just really bad stories that, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, I will disavow you if you marry this person. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I, yeah. I forbid you. And uh, mm-hmm. my wife never shared with me while we were dating, but she obviously had a lot of conversations with her parents about it. Yeah. And so, so she, she, you know, after, after we were married, she kind of told me some of this stuff. Like, yeah, yeah <laughs> they, they really did not want you to. To yeah. date me, they wanted me to marry some nice boy from my hometown, and we could live yeah. there forever. Da, da, da. So it was yeah, a little no, bit I, of an uphill battle, but yeah, she no, shielded I, me from it. <laughs> that's cool. No, that's cool, man. That's cool. You know, I think uh, the, you can always overcome, but I think when you get to, especially the, the more disparate the cultures, the more likely there is going to be some resistance. Not not normally between the two people, right? But yeah, uh, you know, parents and family, yeah. etc. It's one of those things that I think in in the West, especially. I think a lot of people think of certainly in the modern era, a lot of people think of it just being like, okay, it's just 
the two people and if the two people like each other love each other then that's in that's fine like that's all yeah, yeah yeah but it's like in reality especially in other cultures you know my family background is originally from nigeria again mm-hmm. a lot of the things you said about chinese society um exist in lots of african cultures right in terms of the the families being being tighter and mm-hmm. there being more it's it's more of a family based culture Decision. and a lot more yeah mm-hmm. a lot more traditionally based in that regard so in that sense it's kind of like there there's a there's another level that there's another level of resistance that needs to be considered and a lot, i think a lot of people aren't really i think some people kind of aren't aware of that and then some yeah. people are just not sort of ready for yeah okay well what about you know all these other things so it's uh, it's interesting to kind of know the stories there yeah i think marriage is more considered like a family decision yeah as opposed to an individual decision than mm. you know when my wife she was a little nervous meeting my parents and i mean they just loved her from the first second yeah, yeah. and she's, she's like that's it. That's all yeah. you gotta do. You know, gotta just be yourself. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's a funny thing. So, I mean, what are some of the things that um, what are some things that Westerners or Americans or people in general you feel get wrong about China? Part of the reason I ask this is because I'm one, unfortunately, for a not a great reason. China's been been in the news a lot recently. Yeah. With uh, this this whole situation, and there have been some dodgy things with the government, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, I also ask that because I don't know if you know this. I mean, I grew up in Saudi Arabia, right? So yeah, Saudi Arabia, yeah. So Saudi Arabia is a country where most people haven't been there, but most people have very strong opinions and feelings mm-hmm. and whatever about it and expectations and assumptions. And I know in my life, I've been dealing with incorrect assumptions a lot. Right. Yeah. And it's like, okay, some of the, sometimes, you know, some of the times there is a kernel of truth. Sometimes people think something that is just totally false. Sometimes people think that something is much more major or prevalent or whatever than it is. Um, so people always have incorrect opinions. And I believe that if you don't travel somewhere and spend time there and talk to people and understand a place which takes time then I generally don't feel like it's wise to have a super duper strong opinion on a country, let alone the people in it. And I also think that a lot of people judge countries purely based on their governments, right? Or certain actions done by their governments or whatever. So I've come across people who are, have very negative perceptions of America, right? And their negative perceptions are based on, yeah, well, they started this war or they did this, or the president did that, or their government did this or whatever. And that is not, and and some of those things could be correct, right? Sometimes they are correct. It's like, there's a big difference between the American government, whoever is running it and Americans in general, right? The American Mm. people, American culture, et cetera. So if someone has never been to the USA, they may have some totally warped perceptions about what the US is like or what Americans are like. And I think this is the case for every single country. And I know with China, I think that's another one of those countries, especially now where people do have quite strong opinions or feelings or things that they may have heard or they may have thought or whatever. So I'd be curious to um, know what some of those things that people get wrong are and maybe what some of the things they get right as well. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a long list I could go through. Yeah. yeah go ahead. And I, I was, I was thinking the exact same thing, you know, like I think tourism is kind of the, the great, I don't know, I don't want to say the great leveler, right? If, if people, I, w- I wish everybody from China could 
see America. And I wish everybody from America could visit China and mm-hmm. see what, what it's actually like there. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, without going there, you, you have all these preconceived notions. And uh, I mean, so I obviously watch news from, from both sides. Um, I don't know how, how to compare it. I think it's, it's sort of like Donald Trump, like no matter what he says, CNN is never going to say anything good about him or what he does. You know, it's, it's always going to be negative. I think you're kind of seeing that with China a little bit, like no matter what you think of them or, or what they do or what they say, 99% of the time, it's just kind of spun in a negative light. And some of that is probably earned. Like if they do, they do some, some stuff I, I definitely don't approve of. And mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff you hear is, um, it's always based on a, like you said, a kernel of truth. Yeah. Uh, it comes from something, but a lot of the times as, as a lot of these reports come out, it's, there's a lot of things that are glossed over, mm-hmm. which those are kind of the annoying things. But I mean, gosh, where can I start? Obviously, <laughs> I mean, the Chinese food is so different. It's so amazing. Mm-hmm. Like safety, maybe a lot of people have this idea that, you know, if you go there, you're it's like North Korea and you could just be arrested anytime and, and put in prison for life or something like that. But in my experience traveling around China, it, it's extremely safe as far mm-hmm. as, as far as getting violence done to my person, like, I feel very safe. I, I tell people this way. I, there's not a place I've, I haven't been to a place in China where I, I wouldn't feel comfortable walking around at 3 a.m. in the morning by myself. Okay. Uh, I don't, I don't fear violence at all. Maybe, you know, if, if I was a very outspoken political dissident or activist, sure. then I would, I would probably fear for political, you know, reaction mm-hmm. from the government or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, I guess a lot of people think everybody over there eats dogs and that, that does <laughs> happen. It's, it's not widespread. I've heard there's a dog restaurant in Shanghai. I've never seen it. Okay. I know that's changing quickly. You know, like Shenzhen is a big city right across from Hong Kong down mm-hmm. Southern China. And they just, uh, this year they, they banned consumption of uh, cats and dogs. Okay. To start. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I, I think, uh, you know, you, you see a lot of news now, like we need to decouple with China. Okay. Maybe that's a, it's a nice thought, but we're, we're mm-hmm. so intertwined with China, the whole world, especially the U S mm-hmm. that, that's just kind of a pipe dream to me. I mean, just go one day without using something made in China. Made in China. <laughs> Try it. <laughs> see, if, see if you can do it. I bet you can't. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're so intertwined there. And I don't know what that looks like going forward. I don't know. If, mm. Should we decouple? I don't know. Um, it's, it's, it's not, I don't think it's a question for us to answer, really, is it? Exactly. That's a, yeah. That's kind of beyond our pay grade. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess there's another idea that China can't develop its, its own technology, that they steal everything from the West. And certainly they have stolen mm. uh, a fair amount of technology through these uh, forced transfers, which is, it doesn't mean like every company has to transfer their, their technology. It's like when you open a business in China, you have to do a joint venture with the Chinese company. Okay. And that, that, that other, the Chinese half may require you to, as part of the deal to transfer your technology over. And mm. but, you know, people say it's forced. Yes. But at the end of the day, I mean, those, those companies are willing participants in this technology transfer. And there's some, there's some, there's some stolen, stolen things. You know, there's obviously espionage going on and, yeah. and other things like that. But a lot of those are, are, are companies that are just willing to, okay, I want part of the Chinese market. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to give up my technology for that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do have a lot of their own technology, like the WeChat Pay and Alipay, the mobile payment systems. Yeah. Uh, those are, they're, they're really convenient. You know, there's obviously some concerns about data collection and mm-hmm how those could be used to, to track people. Um, the mail delivery service, you know, service is phenomenally fast. Like when you order stuff, yeah. um, you know, DJI is a great company. They have, they make all the drones, oh, yeah, like yeah, the yeah. leader in drone DJI. technology. Yeah. 
I mean, they, they have a lot of their own technology as well. So gosh, what else could I say? What's the, I, um, what's the internet situation like over there? Cause they have, good. The, okay. <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell us more about that because I know that the, firstly, the social media networks that people use and that are popular are totally different. And then also yeah. they've got the sort of, what do they call it? The great, the great firewall situation. The great so firewall. Some yeah. places can be accessed, but certain websites cannot, and there's certain levels of censorship and things like that. Yeah. So the censorship, I think since Xi Jinping has taken over, has, has definitely gone up to a new level. Okay. Uh, when, I, when I first got there in 2007, like it was great. I could do anything, go on any website and say pretty much whatever you wanted. It didn't mm. seem to have any retribution or whatever, you know, Hu, Hu Jintao. It seemed like the, the country was getting more and more open. And mm. um, I think that's gone backwards a little bit. There's just been extremely strict censorship. And I, I've, I've tried to put some of that stuff in my videos. Predominantly when I, when I upload it, let's call it the, the Chinese version of YouTube. There's, mm. you know, there's just one YouTube, but in China, there's like 10 competing YouTubes. Oh, interesting. And okay. so I got to upload all my stuff to all these different platforms. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and they're, they're required to self-censor essentially. Mm. Right. And so sometimes they're, they have different censorship um, standards amongst themselves. Mm. So I, I may, t- I may make a video talking about, Oh, what did I, what did I do the other day? Oh, just, just talking about just different things that were happening with the coronavirus. What's true and what's not. Oh yeah. You know, did it really come from the Wuhan lab or did it, uh, was it brought over by the U.S. military to China and these mm. kind of things? And I think it went through on one of the platforms, but the other ones, they all, they blocked it. So basically yeah. what happens, you, you upload a video, mm-hmm. you hit, you know, send, mm-hmm. and it, it just goes into, we are checking mode and you have to okay. wait an hour. If okay. it passes the check, it'll go. If not, and sorry, is that, is you violated the rules. Is that a human check or an algorithm? Yeah, it's a human check. Wow. On, so, on every single video uploaded? Every single video. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And probably especially... I can't prove this. This is just my conspiracy theory here. Yeah. Probably especially on, on foreign voices. Oh, non, that's interesting. Non-local voices. Um, but we don't know for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, YouTube, Twitter, all this stuff's blocked. A lot of people use VPNs mm-hmm. to, to get over it. And that's such a, a gray area. I don't, no one really knows what's, uh, technically it's illegal, but mm. it's just kind of allowed. Yeah. Um, and, and they can turn it off. I know they can because whenever they have like an important meeting coming up, like they're doing a really important meeting right now called the, the two sessions, the governmental meeting. And if something comes up or, you know, like the, the anniversary of Tiananmen coming up, mm. it just, the VPN just won't work for the day. Really? Yeah. So, wow. I mean, they, they, they can yeah. turn it off, um, yeah. but they, they kind of allow it. Okay. It's, it's just something that's just a mystery to, to all of us living there. <laughs> but I mean, obviously on my, my YouTube channel, most of those people are getting over the firewall yeah. and coming on YouTube to watch my stuff. Yeah, which surprised me because I, I initially I didn't for the first two years I didn't put anything on YouTube. Then I started to try it. And I was like, oh, that's actually there's a lot of people watching. Mm. So it's that's interesting. Really, for that's sure. really interesting. Yeah. So are there specific laws of certain things that you can't say or can't talk about, or is it more like you can't do it, but there aren't really laws? How how explicit is it? How how clear are these rules mm. or guidelines? Not not incredibly clear. Okay, and I think that's. Probably intentional. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say I, I did an interview with um one of my friends who who you know grew up in the former Soviet Union, and he said that yeah the the rules were specifically quite unclear. So yeah. That, you know, like that that sort of helps in itself. Yeah. So on, on most platforms, I'm not allowed to live stream 
as because uh, I'm not Chinese, mm-hmm. not Chinese citizen. Um, so, I mean, that limits me somewhat to being able to get my classes out there and, yeah. and my income. But um, it's a it's a tricky situation <laughs> for yeah. sure. Yeah, no, no, I get, <laughs> I get that. Is it possible to become a citizen as a non-Chinese person? Uh, I, I've heard it's been done. Okay. I don't know the exact process. They've recently made new laws to open the, the green card process. Um, okay. and make them make that a little more clear. Um, and it's still a little vague, but it's much more. There's like eight different paths now okay. to getting a green card. Is that a, gr- a green card for China? Yeah. So okay. if you get it, which I actually applied for it, yeah. but then all this stuff happened. If you get it, you, it's basically you can live and work, just kind of come back and forth for 10 years. Okay. Um, and then as long as you, I think you have to be in China 365 days out of five years mm-hmm. um, to, to maintain it, to keep it going. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's. I, I thought that was a nice step in, in progress because okay. sometimes you kind of feel maybe they just they just don't want us here. Like I don't know, mm. and uh, mm. so we'll see. We'll see if that goes through or not. I'm not holding my breath because everything else going on in the world right now. I, I can't even yeah. get back into China. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Were you in China when this um, when this situation started breaking out? Yeah. So I had originally my wife and I had planned to come back uh, to the U.S. to visit my parents February 4th. That was mm. when we booked our flight last year. Okay. And all this stuff started precipitating and we were just kind of like, we should change our flight. And like, now we'll be okay. And then it was like January 27th, United and Delta announced, okay, we're canceling all flights February 1st and on. Okay. So like, okay, we better, we better change our flight because yeah. <laughs> we're on American. They hadn't made an announcement yet. And so we changed it and then we left. Um, it wasn't to escape the virus necessarily, but we just wanted to kind of continue on with the travel we'd already yeah, paid yeah. for and planned. And now we just, we just can't go back. Fortunately, she has six months on her visa, but it might be longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. No, that's really, um, that's, that's really interesting. I'm trying to think if there's a, any other sort of, I'm trying to think if there's any other big question. I mean, what questions do you get most often? What do um, people ask you? I guess on both sides, in fact, um, I, in China, what are people curious to know about America or the West? And when you're in back in the States, what are the questions you get most often about China? Yeah. I mean, people in the China, they, they, they really want to know is like, Oh, is the U S really that open? Because they see all the movies and the TV shows and they're very hypersexualized. And, oh, okay. um, and I was, is it really like that? And, and conversely, I, I think you, you have a lot of, if you've never been to China and you watch only Fox news or something, you kind of have this idea that China is not far off North Korea. And, you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, it probably was. But yeah, you get, you get a lot of that, those types of questions where people actually might fear going over there. And yeah. reality is people have been doing business for, for years over there. And you do have to kind of watch what you say, obviously. And mm-hmm. uh, there, there's a lot of things I, I'd like to see. I, you know, I'd like China. I, I'd like to see them to change for the better. I'd like to see America change for the better. There's a lot of mm-hmm. criticisms I have of the, my well, own country. Okay. I'm curious. What, what, what would those be? What are the couple of things or what are a few things you think that China could learn from America? And what are a few things you think America could learn from China? Well, I, I think the biggest thing for me is I, I tend to lean, lean towards pacifism. And I think the U S is definitely, definitely too involved in wars and, and has been for pretty much my lifetime. I, almost every president I've been a, in my lifetime has been yeah. Uh, very involved in the, in wars in the Middle East. Sure. And um, and I, I don't know what the answer is at all for that. It's complicated. Very, uh, very yeah. Much. yeah. And I, I would like to see, you know, in China, a little bit more freedom of expression. I, I guess they, they value harmony and mm-hmm. stability 
mm. over everything there. And yeah. um, they, they look at our political situation in the U.S. and people arguing, or even the U.K., you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think they just think that's it's, it's not stable there. Like, okay. why would we want that, right? And yeah. so why would we want a democracy when we have the stability? Well, mm. supposed stability, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's not that we're unstable, like economically, we're still very successful. Mm -hmm. um, they just see all this political stuff as a distraction. Mm -hmm. And so, but you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to, to talk about those things over yeah. there, especially on a, a, on a public forum, like the internet, yes. you can talk about them with friends. Sure. That's, that's not a big issue, but yeah. Uh, those, so those, those you, must be censored. So if you were to talk about America, I would say the, the core fundamental value of America is freedom or Liberty. Yeah. Um, what would you say it is in China? Would you say it's stability, stability and harmony, stability yeah. and harmony. That's really interesting because yeah. this is something I'm always trying to explain to people who are, who haven't traveled a lot because mm -hmm. a lot of people assume that whatever the fundamental primary value in their country is, they paint with that same, they assume they view the whole world through that lens. Yeah. So they can only compare things in terms of freedom and liberty, right? So if I'm yeah. talking about Saudi Arabia, they're just talking about liberty and freedom and liberty and freedom. And I'm trying to explain like, look, I understand you because I can see with that lens too, but mm -hmm. not all countries, not all cultures, not all peoples, that's not necessarily the thing that they are trying to maximize. So if you're trying mm -hmm. to maximize stability, you don't maximize liberty, right? If you're yeah. trying to maximize adherence to a certain religion, if you're trying to maximize family values, if you're trying to maximize economic success, whatever it is, you may need to, you know, ideally you don't want to compromise everything. And it's not like you flatten this one to maximize that yeah. one, but this, there's a sliding scale, right? If you mm -hmm. offer maximum liberty and maximum freedom, you know, take a simple thing, right? You could even compare the, the UK or Europe on versus USA. Okay. The right to bear arms. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. If you talk to a freedom loving you know, libertarian-minded American. Heck yeah, you, no one's taking our guns. Like, you know, I guess all right, whatever. Like, and I, I get that. I understand that. I, in fact, I support the Second Amendment for the U.S. But if I can, if I look through a, a British lens, or you look through the European lens, people are like, "Oh my gosh, those Americans! What are they doing? They're crazy. They're having shootouts at schools. Yep. They're they're having all this gun crime. They're looking at the numbers. They're like, this is crazy. Just get rid of all the guns." And people aren't able, even between the U.K. and U.S.A., which are more similar. In the UK, most British people, like the, the Second Amendment is totally foreign to them. Like they, they, yeah. can't, even, they can't even fathom the concept <laughs> of allowing citizens to own all of these guns, etc. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> so I'm always trying to help to, to get people to understand it. I'm always trying to lay like, look, not every society, not every country just has the exact same fundamental concepts. And then, of course, you have different histories. You have different cultures. You have different religion back, religious backgrounds, all of these things they they all play into it. You can't just turn Saudi Arabia into America, right? You mm -hmm. can't just turn China into Germany. Just like you can't just turn Germany into Iran. Like they're 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 just different. And yeah, sure, you might think this one is better than the other overall or whatever. Um and that that's a whole another conversation, but it it strikes me that a lot of people just don't really understand the 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 fact that core values can be can be different. And, and it's silly to think that way, you know, yeah. like, I think some people think Canada just needs to become a democracy and it's just, it's just that simple yeah. and everything will, will turn around. 
I don't know. I mean, yeah. sure, that'd be great, but I don't know. Is that the only solution? You know, it's complicated. Become a democracy. It's complicated. Know, like, and look, you, you were talking about U.S. intervention, right? Let's not pretend that the USA has not tried to instill, exactly. <laughs> create, create democracy in certain countries in the Middle East, and the results have been, as far as I can tell, pretty disastrous. Right? Not you good. Have, yeah. You now have failed exactly. states. You've now got places where they are worse. That look at Libya. Look at Iraq. Right? They're now mm -hmm. worse than they were under their dictators yeah. you know to, to be frank and this is not me saying oh saddam hussein was a great guy gaddafi was a great guy no that's not this is what you're saying yeah. but stuff is just complicated right mm -hmm. <laughs> like it, it's complicated it's not as simple as like okay you just snap your fingers you do this and everything else falls in line because you there's going to be stuff you cannot predict and you know, you're going to get power vacuums and you're going to get certain groups and militias and whatever who are going to come in and, you, you know, you've had the rise of ISIS. And I am no expert on all this stuff, but I can certainly look at it and go, this is not simple. This is not, no. <laughs> this is not a, a one size fits all. Oh, you just do exactly. this and it works. It's, it's very complicated. But a lot of people think that way and they, they think in oversimplified terms and they think in binary, like mm. it's got to be this or that. Or that, yeah. And it's just not the way the world works in yeah. the majority of diplomatic relations. And so, yep. yeah, I would, I would love to see more, a little more openness on, on the internet, mm. uh, a little less censorship, because the problem is, you know, you could say, well, you know, China, if you took a vote right now, a democratic vote in China, they, I would bet my life savings that they would overwhelmingly, like Xi Jinping would overwhelmingly win in a landslide, right? Okay. And, you know, the Communist Party would, would remain in power. Mm -hmm just because people, again, like that stability. And so how do you, you know, if you think in those terms, like how, how do you give a, a democratic government to a country that just doesn't want it, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, people need, to, people need to want it. Yeah, people need to want it. So, yeah, it's, it is, it's, it's very complicated. And, and again, I don't, I don't think democracy is the, the best solution or, or the only solution. Mm. But, uh, you know, there's, I think they call it technically, what would, would be the label for China would be sort of be like a, a thor, authoritarian capitalism right now. Sure. It's really, it's really not even communism. That's just yeah. another thing I, I hear people say, oh, it's just, just a bunch of, you know, <laughs> crazy commies running around trying yeah, to rule yeah, the world. Yeah. Like, well, they have an authoritarian structure for sure, but and they have a lot of state-owned enterprises, but yeah. it's not all state-owned. There's a lot of private business and uh, the party's all involved in, in the private mm -hmm. businesses as well. But it's, uh, yeah, it's changes like that just don't happen no. so quickly. <laughs> no, it's not. You know, I, I spoke to someone recently. I did a podcast recently. I was talking to a guy who's been to a, who's been in North Korea, and so I was I was talking. You know, that, you don't meet a lot of people who have actually been to North Korea, so that was uh, that was really fascinating. My wife went there. With oh, her. really? Yeah, she was. Uh, yeah, she had some interesting stories. Yeah, <laughs> Everything's yeah. choreographed. It's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, man. So awesome, Mike. So where can people find you online? Yeah, so on my YouTube and Facebook, it's just Teacher Mike. Mm -hmm. If you're a Chinese speaker listening to this, it's Michael Lauscher. <laughs> and uh, yeah, on, on Chinese social media, it's the same thing. If you type my name in, Michael Lauscher, you'll certainly find me on all my uh, Chinese platforms, which are many. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah. Um, hopefully, you, maybe you can uh, help us out by subtitling this video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or or uh, getting, cool. getting someone to do it. That would be cool. Right? Maybe, you know, this could reach reach a whole whole different audience if uh, yeah. if that can be done. That would be dope. Yeah. And, and yeah, you have to, in China, you have to pretty much subtitle everything because yeah. they want to make sure they're, they know what you're saying. And it's just kind of standard, even on, even yeah. in Chinese, because there's so many dialects and stuff, they just yeah, subtitle yeah. everything. 
Awesome, Mike. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on the show, man. It's been My a, pleasure. really interesting talking to you. You too. Thanks for having me. No doubt, man. Take care. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me, you're destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang. Y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.